Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us, taking your calls in our National Progressive Town Hall meeting. His website is Pocan, P-O-C-A-N.house.gov. He represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin in the U.S. House. He's a member and former co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. And his Twitter handle is Rep. Mark Pocan. Congressman Pocan, welcome back. What's on your mind this morning? Probably a little celebration still from the verdict yesterday, watching my good friend Keith Ellison, the former chair of the Progressive Caucus, now the attorney general in Minnesota, say that this opens the door for a reset button on race relations. And I think that's a good way of putting it. This provided some accountability, but certainly I don't think what I would fully call justice because George Floyd is still dead. But this did send a powerful signal that police aren't above the law, that we have a problem with race relations specifically among policing. And uh, we've done bills in Congress to address that. But to see that verdict, I think that sent a really important signal. And I hope Attorney General Ellison is right that this can press that reset button. So I think that's, uh, even though we're very busy in Congress doing lots of other things, I think that was very significant and on front of many of our minds. And one of the things that came out of this is a piece of legislation that has passed the House. It's waiting for consideration in the Senate right now. George Floyd Justice in Policing Act, if I'm remembering the title correctly. Can you share any of the details of that with us? Well, it goes after a number of issues we've had, including the particular type of hold that was used in this now, I guess, murder is the best way to put it. It addresses a number of other issues, like keeping a database on police officers that do commit these types of acts. It's fairly comprehensive, certainly not fully comprehensive, but fairly comprehensive bill now is sitting at the Senate. And if the Senate can figure their way around the rather arcane rules that they have, I think they have a chance to move it forward because I don't think you're going to see Republicans still rushing forward to do the right thing. It's just not been what we've seen in Washington these days. That would be a fine thing. Well, let's pick up phone calls and see what's on people's minds today. Pam in Chicago, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good morning. We do have some relief with this verdict, Tom and Congressman. Uh, But very specifically, I wanted to ask about George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. It seems like a very, I guess, contentious point is the qualified immunity. It is my sincere hope that Biden does not negotiate on that point. Additionally, I wanted to ask you, Congressman, there has to be something done about identifying the officers that exhibit racist behaviors, 
have racist tendencies and have affiliations with hate groups. And the vetting process that comes to mind for me is the same vetting process that was used to eliminate those National Guardsmen from the Capitol. Whatever vetting process was used, we now need this with our entire law enforcement community at all levels. And I'm asking what possibility, uh, maybe an additional piece of legislation, but we have to time weed out the racist on the force. We have to prevent it. We have to do polygraph tests and whatever we can. It's not the end all be all, but it's a great start. And I'll hang up and listen. And please comment to that. Eliminating the racist officers, identifying and eliminating them from the force. Thank you. So first, I would say part of the bill does keep a a database of an officer who does something like this. So Unfortunately, that's only once there's been an action. doesn't still address your question, but at least you'd have a database of officers so that hopefully another department won't pick up one of these officers that's already done an infraction. There's, a, I know, another piece of legislation that looks directly at the military for this, and I'm not sure if police are included. I'd have to look at it a little closer, Pam, but it does get after more of what you said, a more comprehensive way to address it. And then finally, Pam, I would just say, you know, a bill I introduced was a bill to try to have uniform training standards for all law enforcement personnel, no matter where you are in the country, so that as an individual who might be stopped by the police, you know whether you're in Maine or Chicago or L.A. that you're going to have the same rights as an individual and you know what to expect because there's been a uniform basic standard of training. And uh, that's not part of the the George Floyd uh, Justice and Policing Act, but To me, that's also very important because I think, again, it provides that standard. Not only do you root out some of the folks that might be racist on police forces, but also make sure that everyone knows what to expect if you have an encounter with a law enforcement officer, both from the law enforcement side and from the individual side. And I think that would also help to address some of your concerns, Pam. Morris in Long Beach, California, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. We're serviced out here by the L.A. County Sheriff's. Now, we know we have known gangs within the Los Angeles County Sheriff. That's no secret. We've known this for quite some time. People are terrified out here. These folks even stopped the mayor, Aisha, beautiful black woman, stopped her, the county deputy, one of them deputies did. Now, this is what I'm proposing. We're going to have to have a federal vetting program for anyone that carries a gun and a badge in this country. Now, you folks are supposed to, you know, protect us, the, the pursuit of happiness and whatnot, all you congressmen. You can't let these states and these, these local people, mean-spirited folks, take away our protection. So I think a good idea would be for a federal vetting before you become a cop in Long Beach or wherever. You have to clear a federal vetting thing. You know, we ain't got you on no chat room talking up, you know, need people stuff. But so what do you think about a federal vetting for officers? And thanks for the time, Tom. Yeah, Morrison, I think that kind of goes to the point I mentioned earlier. You know, I think there should be a federal minimum standard of a level of training for a police officer, no matter where you are in this country. What we found is, you know, outside of having a high school degree, the standards are very inconsistent. You know, I think that's part of the problem. And I think everyone would have, it feels better if we knew there was a minimum sort of standard, whether it be for people coming in, which I think many departments already do, but also for a minimum level of training. So I think both make sense. Do you think this is going to pass? You know, this should be a hopeful catalyst because it shows there can be mm-hmm. minimal accountability 
but justice certainly isn't fully served because George Floyd is still dead. But the Senate and their rules, Tom, I tell you, I, I, I feel like I'm going to be saying that every time I'm on the program. You know, it's going to continue to be a barrier because any special interest that gets to any one senator can block things. Right, because of the filibuster, you mean? Yes, the yeah. filibuster. Yeah, absolutely. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. The thing that sticks out most with me regarding the police situation is that this guy Chauvin lived 19 miles away from where the incident was in Oakdale suburb. The communities should be in control of the police who are working for them. And there should be some sort, whether it can be legislated or should just be policy to get police to live within the communities that they serve. He's taking the money out of that community and he's spending it in Oakdale, his salary. I'm sure they're desperate for jobs in some of these communities where these incidents happen. I hope there's some way they could at least promote or give an incentive for police to live within, say, half a mile of where they have to work and that the people who they work with should be uh, known to them and they should know them so it goes a long way when there are problems like this if the, the people know each other. Is that a good idea? Yeah, Bill, many communities do have residency requirements that you live within the, the jurisdiction that you're, or the municipality anyway, that you're representing. You know, we don't address that at all on the federal level, but that is something many local communities have. And I do agree with you. I mean, I think you know, time after time, community policing models have proven themselves that when people actually are part of a community and know people in the community, you don't have the normal escalation that often happens. And you're making a strong point for that. Kevin in Mobile, Alabama, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. My concern is with the FCC. You know, you got uh, OAN, you got Fox News, you got Newsmax and other radio stations go on and allow their hosts to go on and lie about situations. Okay, and what it does, it takes people like the officer to believe that he can do what he wants or we will back you. Is there any kind of laws that can be implemented federally to stop these agencies from lying? And if they do make a mistake now, they have time to retract. But there should be some laws to state that you cannot be going to radio lying. That's on TV or anything and just out and out lie. That's like me going and say there's a fire in the movie theater, and there isn't. Kevin, I hear you about what you're saying. So I think the factual answer is yes, I assume there's something we could do legally to try to put more responsibility back into news coverage. And I think, you know, we've taken a few steps backward over the years on that front. However, I say that with an asterisk because I think when you watch the Bowtie guy, I'm forgetting his name right now, which is probably a good thing, on Fox News, people like that, don't forget, they're not journalists. They are commentators, and they have a different flexibility. They may act like journalists, but, you know, clearly facts and figures don't matter to what they put out there. So I don't know if you're going to be able to address it as concretely as you'd like to from what we all would say is journalism, and especially uh, those type of folks. I mean, they, they seem to breed on sensationalism. So, yes, we probably could do more, but I think there's always going to be the loopholes of commentators versus actual journalists. Omar in Herndon, Virginia. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Mr. Pocan, his name is Clown Tucker Carlson. That's his name, Clown. Uh, um, thank you. Well, 
Yes, thank you. What I was calling about, uh, Mr. Polkan, what's the status on UBI, universal-based income, and the $15 minimum wage? I know, is this something that we can get in the next bill in Congress? I mean, is it dead on arrival? Is this, is this still something that you guys are looking at? Thank you. Yeah, uh, great question, Omar. First of all, on universal basic income, I don't think there's a bill that's going to move this Congress on that. So while it's an idea that a number of members clearly are willing to talk about, I don't see that moving through the House or Senate. On minimum wage, you know, we passed it out of the House. The Senate, we saw that we had, I think, eight Democrats who voted against it when it was through the reconciliation process. Uh, We've talked uh, with Senate leadership and the White House about some possible changes that I think would pick up five or six of those folks. The ultimate question is, you know, what do the people of West Virginia or Arizona, um, you know, think about this issue? And I've seen some polling and they seem to think we should raise the minimum wage. So I, I think it's not dead at all. It's still very much a priority uh, for, for many of us. It's just uh, how do we get to the point? I, I think what we look at on all bills right now, Omar, and this is helpful hopefully in a broader context, is first, how do you get to 50 votes in the Senate? And then you kind of have the conversations about filibuster reform or reconciliation or other processes. But first, they have to get to the 50 votes. This is kind of how they're operating, which means uh, we have a couple more folks to get to the right place. My hope is we'll get there because there's absolutely zero question in my mind that America is long overdue for a raise. Maverick in Edmonds, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Cooking. Thanks for doing this National Town Hall. I think it's really, really important, and I really appreciate it. By the way, I have another name for that Carlson guy that we see on Fox television, but it would be wrong for me to say it over Tom's airwaves. So what I want to ask Congressman, yeah, I think you know, right? (laughs) So what I want to ask Congressman is uh, there's this thing called rolling coal, and I briefly got to speak with Ro Khanna about it a couple weeks ago, but we ran out of time, and I didn't get to pose my final question on what action to take about it. And the rolling coal is, for people who don't know, is these people that alter their diesel pickup trucks so that when they stomp on the uh, throttle, this enormous cloud of poisonous particulate matter comes out of the back, which is a health hazard and it's a poke in the eye to global warming and whatnot. So what do we do? Because this is done intentionally for amusement purposes by these people. What action would I take in order to bring this to the attention of someone, elected official, that can do something? And Pramila Jayapal is one of my representatives, by the way. Great. Well, first of all, Maverick, uh, you've got one of the best members of Congress and one of my best friends in Congress. As your representative, Pramila is a great leader for the progressive movement, so you should feel in good hands. I'll be honest, I know what you're talking about, but I've never heard about a talk about from the, the legal perspective of what we can do. I would think that it may be also worthy of contacting your state legislators because you might be able to have a more a quicker fix to something like that. But clearly, you're right, it's a global impact, and I just don't have a direct answer for you on that. Bill in New York City, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I want to discuss qualified immunity because I think that is really the most effective blow you can strike against police brutality against minorities. Training obviously doesn't work. This woman, Kim Potter, the policewoman who killed the driver, she had 26 years experience. You have to hit them where it hurts. Uh, I think I can say this because Lyndon Johnson said it, and that's basically you grab someone by their balls and their heart will follow. So if you remove qualified immunity, that means that the policeman's pensions will be subject to garnishment or, or taking away if they're convicted. 
And I think this will make every single cop think twice about some reckless behavior. Yeah, Bill, I think we sent the bill to the Senate the way we did, unified as Democrats. For Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. Edu slash podcast. All the reasons that you just mentioned and others that are in that bill, because we think they're important. Now, you know, the Senate being 50-50 with giving any individual senator a lot of sway, clearly that could be a factor as they move forward and then they still have to get through their arcane rules. But I'm with you. I mean, I think yesterday showed that you can have accountability at some level, but that's kind of a basic level of accountability. You need to, I think, to have additional measures to truly make sure that we're changing a very systematic system of racism that's unfortunately been accepted way too long in this country. So your point is well taken. We sent the bill out the way we did for a reason. You know, once it gets to the Senate, it is in a very different set of rules and different set of hands and a different reality with a 50-50 Senate. David in Honolulu, Hawaii, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, my question is if progressives are considering better ways to use those billions of dollars we throw into the presidential election every four years, my suggestion would be attack the heart of the Republican lie machine by a minute of time. Every day on the shows of Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity and the like, that's how to really put them on the defensive. You can immediately expose their lies, show their hypocrisy by comparing past and recent video clips. Let their audiences learn about what democratic socialism and unions and national health care are really about. Let them hear Eisenhower's Cross of Iron speech. And it could be as far from political advertising as possible. Get big names to and directors, Hollywood people, donate time to create content that appeals to everyone. Repeat that every day. And those memes, progressive memes, start to sink in and have an impact. How about that? Yeah, David, I, I hear your suggestion. So let me say two things. One, I mean, on a legislative side, and I'll give to your more specifically to your question in a second. You know, we've been promoting HR one, the most comprehensive campaign finance election and ethics reform bill ever introduced to level the playing field from all these states that we're playing whack-a-mole on with different election laws that make it harder for people to vote, makes politicians pick their voters rather than the other way around. But two, I think one thing at the core of how progressives operate is we really want to have more grassroots efforts and communication in our campaigns and using things like social media and other things that people like AOC and others use so very effectively. So maybe it's not just trying to compete on the one front of advertising that's traditional, but maybe trying to find other ways to get messaging out 
working with community groups, et cetera. That's been at the core of, I think, where we've had our most successes in using social media, which you can really target voters very effectively. But keeping up with the technologies that are out there and not just doing something that consultants make a commission on, which I think is all too often what advertising has been in campaigns. We really want to have grassroots communication, and that's been probably at the most of a forefront of what progressives have asked for. David in San Francisco, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Oh, morning, Tom and uh, Congressman. Regarding the infrastructure bill, of course, the Republicans are refusing to sign on to it. Does that mean that they're refusing to to put in bids for projects in their district? That is the hypocrisy to the Republican Party, right? As we pass the American Rescue Plan, we watch people like Mass and Cawthorn and other Republicans taking credit for dollars going in their district after they voted against a bill. It don't work that way. You can't do that. I think the same is true of infrastructure. The reason they want a bipartisan bill is they want to take credit for some things, but only the things they want to take credit for. Well, that's not the way it works. You know, we have an entire nation to take care of. Things that may be important to New York City may not be as important to rural Wisconsin, but vice versa is true as well. They're not going to support an infrastructure bill. They shouldn't be able to take credit for it. We have to hold them accountable. Well said. Donna, in Round Mountain, California, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. Trump did that big tax increase, and I've heard that in the same bill, or decrease, I mean, the rich get richer. I've heard that in the same bill, that people making under $75,000 a year will have their taxes increase every year from this year, 2021, through 2029. Is that true? Boy, I I would have to take a look at it closer, Donna. I can tell you this. What we do see is a ramping up of the percent of money that goes to the top 1% at that year 9 or year 10 point. It's something like 83 to 85% of the money goes to the top 1%. So in that regard, it's probably true just because of how the numbers actually work on this. But I don't want to say it definitively because I actually, when that bill came up, I was home with my heart surgery at the time. And I'm not as well-versed because I was not around for that debate on that aspect of it. So I'd have to get back to you. But I know that, you know, our big complaint was that the $1.9 trillion that was in that bill, again, like 83 to 85% of it was going to the top 1% in a number of years, which addresses, I think, what you're talking about, which is, again, how skewed it is. And then, of course, watching Republicans squeal while we try to spend money on infrastructure or on the American Rescue Plan to benefit all of America, you know, suddenly we don't have money. It just shows the hypocrisy that they put out there. David in Racine, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. My question is, do you know or have you heard of any good progressive that will be running for the Ron Johnson seat? And if not, how do we find them? And we need to get them out there. So, I mean, I'm ready to go to work now. Yeah, David, great question. So I think there's at least three or four announced candidates, and I think at least one more expected to be in the race. And there's a number of people who have good progressive values that are running. The person who's not announced yet is Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, who was a progressive state legislator, worked for six, the think tank for progressive state legislators, and uh, currently the Lieutenant Governor. Sarah Godlewski, the state treasurer, is progressive 
from Madison, uh, originally from Eau Claire, has a strong track record on progressive values. Tom Nelson, who is a former majority leader in the Assembly, now Outagamie County Executive, is running on things like Medicare for All and other progressive issues. Alex Lazary out of Milwaukee also did some very progressive actions uh, with the Bucks when they actually uh, brought in unions very voluntarily to do that. And, and there's a, a fifth person, I'm just forgetting the name, but to be honest, they're not a, probably one of the major candidates. So just ask the candidates outright on the issues that you care about the most. The bottom line is we're here to beat Ron Johnson. I hope that the candidates don't attack each other personally. There's no reason to. But what we do need to do is keep the eye on the prize, that Ron Johnson is an embarrassment to the state of Wisconsin. He's an embarrassment to the country. Seeing him defeated not only will help give the Senate a, a little more buffer on the Democratic side, but also replace someone who makes Joe McCarthy kind of look normal. Right. Stephen in Albuquerque, New Mexico, you're on the air with the Representative Pocan. Trey, I have a question that goes back to the first payroll protection program distribution. We had an incident where we, I talked to you about this a year ago about money that was not accounted for in the millions that had just disappeared. Has that ever been located or have we got more accountability now? Yeah, I mean, the program itself has been fixed in a number of ways. I mean, I think one of the biggest problems that we initially saw, Stephen, was just people's access to PPP. If you didn't have a relationship with a bank or a credit union at the time, it already put you a bit of a disadvantage. We also heard stories of some of the big bankers wanted to deal with big customers and not that small business, so they were having a hard time getting access. So what we did is we opened up certain time periods and certain amounts of money just for smaller businesses. We addressed it in a number of other ways for minority business owners. So I think the program is working much better now. We don't hear the same complaints we had then. And uh, there's even some talk about right now whether or not we need to reopen it yet again. Because let's remember, if you're a restaurant, a bar, meeting, or travel industry, a few other industries, you're devastated. It's not like you went down 10 or 20 percent. You're down maybe 70 percent. And uh, we have to continue to help those businesses. The good news is vaccinations are getting out. Uh, We're getting shots in arms. We're getting people into jobs with the American Rescue Plan. And I think we'll get out of this sooner than later. But we have to continue to support those people that, again, who've lost demand at no fault of their own. But I, I think it's been much improved because of some of those initial problems, Stephen. Greg in Detroit, Michigan. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I was just wondering if the Democrats ever considered, like, getting some easy wins under their belt, like, say, just declaring a voting day as national holiday or repealing the bill for the post office that they have to pay the retirement 75 years in the future. It seems like that'd be an easy win. And then one last thing I was just wondering, do they ever consider going on C-SPAN, like, say, once a week just to communicate to the American public where you could log into C-SPAN, could take calls similar to this show, but, you know, say Chuck Schumer or uh, the head of the you know Democratic Party could go out in there and just take calls and explain their agenda to the American people where you feel more of a connection. Sure, Craig. First of all, I mean, I think members across the country, that's part of what we do in our districts are make sure that we're talking to the press, explaining what's happening in Washington. So it's really incumbent on all of us to do those jobs and where you have Republican members of the House or Senate. Hopefully there's other institutions and individuals doing that. But clearly that is, I don't know if there's ever an easy win for Democrats these days, the 50-50 Senate, I'll be blunt, which is why a lot of us are looking at that filibuster rule as something that's very arcane and probably needs updating. But I would argue we've passed one of the biggest bills 
in decades in Congress in the American Rescue Plan. And in that, we're getting shots in arms, we're getting people in jobs, we're getting kids back in schools safely. We're doing a lot. That we need to talk about a whole lot more. And I think that's been, if anything, the mistake that we've made is that we haven't gotten out there and really sung the praises of how comprehensive that bill was that put checks into people's pockets. It helped small businesses. It helped our state and local governments. I mean, go down the list. It was a very comprehensive bill. That alone, for Congress to get something like that done and improve the economy and improve the situation around COVID is pretty amazing. And I think uh, we need to get out there and really let people know what Congress did because it was very significant. Do you see a version two coming down the road? Well, I think people, many people look at the infrastructure bill kind of as the version two. It's kind of helping get the active economy going post getting the vaccines into people's arms. And that, I think, will get done before we do the August break. That's great. Carl, in Crawfordsville, Indiana, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. What happened to the inspector general's reports that caused the firing of those inspector generals in several departments, including the Mitch McConnell's wife's transportation department. And what happened to the three people that can summon Mr. Trump's tax returns? You're stumping me a little on the second one. I'm not quite sure what you're referring to offhand. I can tell you that the inspector general largely is under the purview. Well, it can be every committee's oversight, but also the Oversight and Government Reform Committee does a lot of that work. I don't serve on that committee, so I can't tell you exactly what their agenda and schedule is. But I think we certainly have saw many of the flaws of the Trump administration and how they operated. The good news is, so far, I've been very impressed with the Biden administration and transparency and how they're operating. And we're even we have disagreements like last week around the amount of refugees being allowed into the country for very good reasons, as they stated to us early on. You know, the infrastructure at HHS under Donald Trump had been decimated in this area because they didn't believe in this. It had to be rebuilt to do it right. But when they weren't going to do the right thing after they said they were, we put some pressure on and they did the right thing. I've been very impressed. So while I may not have a direct answer of what the committees of oversight are doing on that, I can tell you, at least in this administration, we're not seeing some of the same problems reoccur. Alejandro in Miami, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. The ridiculousness of the Maxine Waters, you know, asking her to be censored, brought up this really important point. What, is, what are you and the Democrats doing to investigate, you know, all the traitor enablers of the January 6th insurrection? This is a very big deal. And the Congress needs to investigate all the enablers on the inside who tried to help the insurrectionists kill Nancy Pelosi and possibly kill Mike Pence, too, and, and just cause massive destruction to the Capitol and try to, you know, overturn the election. And, you know, those people need to be investigated. They need to be fettered out. They need to be censored at the minimum, and they need to be expelled. And you should refer all of them to criminal prosecution. So I just want to know what are the Democrats doing about those traitors? You know, we are trying to put together a special commission to deal with it. I think, unfortunately, it's been caught up over the proportion of Democratic and Republican members. And, you know, I hope that doesn't delay it too much because we do have to get to the bottom of um, more of the answers about, you know, who is responsible and uh, make sure that there is real accountability for uh, the first attack on the U.S. Capitol in 200 years. I know Democrats are still committed to that. It's just a matter of, I think, figuring out the commission and making sure that the Republicans right now we have a problem because of the makeup of the committee. Having said that, uh, you're completely right. I mean, the ridiculousness yesterday of going after Maxine Waters, they're all for show these days. They don't have any substance. And yet they don't understand 
Marjorie Taylor Greene, the responsibility they have among their own members, her and Bobert and, and others, you know, bad community theater at best sometimes up here in Washington watching the Republicans try to scramble for a message. Chris in Littleton, Colorado, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Mitch McConnell said right on TV to stay the hell out of politics. Is he not telling everyone in America that the Republicans control the elections through legislation, voter suppression, denying access to the polls and gerrymandering, dark money, etc.? Is he not telling everyone that they control that and we no longer have a right to our democracy? Yeah, Chris, I think what you're referring to, and I thought it was a, a bizarre interview with Mitch McConnell, he said corporations should stay out of uh, politics because he doesn't like what they're doing in Georgia with all the voter suppression laws passed. The fact that companies, corporations are like moving you know, the baseball playoffs and you know, you're seeing all these other statements from corporations, he wants to stop that. But then he very quickly said, but it's okay to put money into politics, <laughs> because, of course, that's their lifeblood. So it's very interesting. Stay out of government, but, but, you know, keep giving to us as candidates. And I think it just shows the disconnect that we have, which is why many of us and a growing number of members of Congress are taking no corporate PAC money whatsoever, working with End Citizens United on those efforts. And I think that's having a big impact because, you know, you don't have to wait to see what your corporate masters are recommending because you rely on them so much for funding your campaigns. Whenever we disconnect, we have a better democracy. We're going to get bills that are better for people. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of the things happen right now out of the Biden administration, whether it be the American Rescue Plan, the Infrastructure Plan, and other measures. So I thought Mitch McConnell was an incredible hypocrite. Please stay out of government, but oh, but don't stay out of our campaign coffers. We still we need you. We love you. It just doesn't work, and it just shows again how hard the Republican Party is having being a major political party post Trump. It's particularly amazing since Mitch McConnell is the guy who took the case to the Supreme Court, arguing that corporations should be able to basically give unlimited money to politicians. I mean, that was back in the day. Just remarkable. No, he wants to. Well, both be bought by corporations and to own them, and you can't do both. <laughs> there you go. George in Garden City, Kansas, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I was just curious, since the parliamentarian has ruled that we might get another reconciliation bill, is it possible to put in uh, wording that they can remove the cap on Social Security? Is that possible to be put into a reconciliation bill? And I'll take your answer off the air. Thank you. Yeah, George, great question. I haven't uh, heard that discussed yet, and um, I'm, I will check in with a couple folks on that because the way reconciliation works, it has to have a budgetary impact. And you could argue, I would absolutely argue, you'd have a budgetary impact if you lift the cap on Social Security. So it should be something you could consider. But, you know, this is really, they're looking at it for the infrastructure package right now because clearly everything just about everything mentioned in the infrastructure bill could happen through reconciliation, which would be good news because we could get it done sooner and help the economy sooner and get people working uh, sooner. That's a great question on that. You know, I thought recently we've had some interesting discussions around Social Security, including with listeners on this program, and I appreciate you know the different ideas we've had out there. Instead of a Social Security tax, we should call it Social Security savings. That came out of one of these conversations, and I'm like, that's an amazing idea. Why don't we do that, right? And uh, I think your idea is a sound one, too. And, George, I'm going to follow up on it and see if anyone's discussed it. 
Tom in Aurora, Colorado. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Okay. Uh, I was wondering, with Matt Gates and others engaging in so many unethical behaviors, shouldn't the Ethics Committee be removed to the uh, Attorney General's office to deal with these issues? Letting the fox guard the chicken house is sort of what you're looking at, I think, when you're letting the Ethics Committee come right from the body that's being looked at. Yeah, yeah, Tom, actually, that's exactly what's happening. It was the, actually initiated by the Attorney General's office under the Trump administration. So, you know, it's amazing Matt Gates is now claiming that somehow Merrick Garland is trying to target him when this all started before Merrick Garland was even appointed to the position. But, you know, ethics also has a role. So I think you're going to see parallel tracks because it's necessary, but it's certainly justice has it, and that's what you're looking for. Jim in Las Vegas watching us on YouTube. Hey, Jim, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Congressman, I was just wondering, I went to the bank today. I'm, I'm a Social Security recipient that has not filed income taxes for some years, and uh, those $14 checks did, check did not appear. What's up with that? Yeah, so um, are you doing direct deposit, uh, do you know offhand, Rick? Yeah, my Social Security check comes on direct deposit. Do you file your taxes, though, with direct deposit? Not Social Security. No, I haven't filed taxes in probably seven or eight ah. years because I'm just on so, Social Security. Sure, Rick. What you need to do then is reach out to your member of Congress. My mother just got today her $1,400 check, and she didn't get her $600 check in December, and she's in a very similar place. You are. There's always going to be some hiccups in the system, and that's why you have a member of Congress, House or Senate, that can help you on that. Please reach out to them, and that's something that absolutely any office would want to do for their constituents. And you ask for constituent services, right? Yeah, and we're used to this. We get lots of these calls this day, and we do have a streamlined process. Instead of someone trying to handle themselves, you pay our salaries, you elect us to represent you, reach out to your member of Congress, and that's our job. Randy in Ottawa, Iowa, you're on the air with Congressman Pokian. It's my understanding that when George Bush came into office, that there were about 3,500 to 4,000 registered lobbyists in Washington, D.C. He made the comment, we're going to start running government like a business. And here we are 20 years later, going on 21 years later, and I believe there's 40 to 45,000, I'm not sure about the 45, but around 40,000 registered lobbyists in Washington. Could you confirm or do you have an idea as to the extent the lobby problem that we have in Washington, D.C.? You've identified it. I mean, just the pharmaceutical industry alone has 1,500 lobbyists in Washington, D.C. That's enough to have three for every member of the House and Senate. I don't know who my three are, but that's a pretty screwed up ratio. And you wonder why we pay 20 times more for drugs than you do in Canada or other countries, clearly uh, because of the influence of those special interests. So there is no question. I'm not going to demonize every lobbyist. Sometimes they're experts with the information they have. But when you have 1,500 for a single industry, clearly it's not to provide information to make sure that they're tactically working the system. And it's not just them. Look at all the corporations that pay no taxes that hide their money overseas. That's because of special interest lobbyists. So absolutely, that is a huge problem you're identifying. Are there any plans to do anything about it? Well, I think one of the best things that I mentioned earlier is not taking corporate money goes really far, right? So people don't feel beholden to those lobbyists. But we need to get more people to do that. And honestly, passing things like H.R. 1 would also reduce the influence of special interests. Why that's such a key bill.
Nina in Sarasota, Florida. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Our governor is not accepting Medicaid expansion at all, even with the help with the American Rescue Plan. Florida has over 2 million people without health insurance. Just wondering, is there anything coming down the road that would help that individuals could individually accept without going through the state to apply for health insurance? The Medicaid issue, I mean, this is political malpractice, not only by your governor, but also by the legislature in Wisconsin, where you know there's only 12 states left that haven't done it. And the incentives that we put in that last bill were pretty serious. For Wisconsin, I can tell you, if we did Medicaid expansion, not only would we have 90,000 more people with coverage, health coverage that don't have it right now, we would also lower the rates for providers as well that would help provide savings in the system. But also, it delivers a billion dollars with a B, billion, for the state of Wisconsin. And for Florida, it's probably even more because you have more people. It's truly political malpractice to not expand Medicaid, both from a fiscal sense and a human perspective, to not cover more of your constituents. Unfortunately, you know, we've done these incentives. We gave it up again for the states that didn't do it, the final 12. But your governor wants to, you know, be president and be Donald Trump's heir more than he wants to actually take care of people. And I wish I had a better answer for you, Nina, other than you need a new governor. Jerry in Chester, Virginia, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Can you fit the minimum wage increase into this infrastructure bill? And two, is there a Buy American provision in the bill? Thanks. I believe there is a Buy American provision in the infrastructure bill that's being proposed. I'm quite sure of it because uh, we just had a conversation on this this week, but I couldn't tell you in what context. I know they're doing some reviews right now. One of the problems we have is you can't just do a blanket Buy American because of trade deals. Unfortunately, many of the trade deals are worded in such a way that we can't do it unilaterally. So in some areas, I know we can, but in other areas, you can't. And so that's going to be one problem. It won't be like a blanket one. Two, on the minimum wage, our problem still is going to exist that you've got eight senators who voted against it when Bernie uh, put it up on the last bill. We think we know how to get five of them at least. And the question is the final two or three. So we can't necessarily hold up the infrastructure bill to do this, but everyone is committed from the White House to Chuck Schumer to certainly the House to getting a minimum wage bill done. But again, I think it may face some of the same issues around the filibuster, given we have a few senators that are problems. That means we have to persuade Again, Senator Manchin, Senator Cinema, and uh, perhaps some of the others of the eight to get this done. So, yes, I know there's some provisions around Buy American, but it's not blanket because of trade deals. And on minimum wage, uh, I think it may be a separate bill that's going to have to move. Ed in San Antonio, Texas, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. When are we going to eliminate that 20% on Medicare? Because Medicare Advantage doesn't have it, and people take Medicare Advantage, what, a third of them now are privatized because they can't afford that 20%. What are we going to eliminate that? If you're talking about having Medicare for all and have that 20% in there, you're going to have Medicare Advantage for all because people won't be able to afford the 20%. You're right. In fact, I would also argue we should add vision and dental, some other things to Medicare as well. And Bernie Sanders has proposed those as well as others. But the good news is in the Medicare for all bill, it does actually address all those things. You wouldn't need to have advantage programs. It would actually be very comprehensive. Our goal there is we have to get more people to sponsor the bill. We don't have the votes right now to pass Medicare for all. And we need to reach out to anyone who's not 
a sponsor of the bill, people should reach out to their member of the House or Senate and ask them to be a sponsor of the bill. That's our best way of indicating the support we have. But until you get to a critical mass of enough people to put it on the floor, it's worse if we would actually have a vote and then have people vote against it because it's hard to get people to change in their position. So the best thing we can do is have people in districts as constituents reach out to their elected officials and explain why they want Medicare for All and why it would fix the very problem that you very accurately are presenting it. So the problem right now is that you don't have enough Democrats signed on to the Medicare for All bill. So people who have a Democratic, because Republicans are not going to do this, right? So right. this we have is, about, uh, reach out to you. I want to say 110 or 120. I think it's 120, but I could be wrong on that, Tom, just off the top of my head. Who are sponsors? And we've been working on, obviously, some of the Progressive Caucus members, very few who aren't. But there's a whole lot of other folks. And if they're not a sponsor at this point, they're likely not a vote at this point. That's why the, the campaign should really be around additional sponsorships from Democrats on that Medicare for All bill. Right. Rather than trying to force a vote, get everybody on board first. It just makes sense. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. John in Holly, Michigan. John, you're on the air with Congressman Pokian. Hello, thank you for taking my call. Yes, I have a question. I'm on SSI. I'm retired, and they take out, I'll look at my statement, $1,735 for the year for Part B for Medicare. Is there a reason why they're deducting out of our Social Security for that? Yeah, I think it might go to the last discussion we had. Is this, you know, there are things that we could certainly do to make Social Security better. That is clearly one of them, dealing with that percent. Also, adding some things like dental vision, long term care. All things that are covered in the Medicare for All bill, but all things that would absolutely be improvements to the current Medicare program, which still, by the way, is one of the most popular programs we have for the federal government, doesn't mean we should include those things that we know we need to do, which is why they're in the Medicare for All bill. But, John, that's why we've got to keep reaching out to, if you're a member of Congress, House or Senate is not a sponsor of the Medicare for All bill, uh, you need to reach out to them, have that question, ask them why, and have a conversation with them because it's important for us to be able to do that to fix Medicare. Howard in Orange County, California. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Sounds like Medicare Day, gentlemen. Uh, the previous caller may have been asking this question, but I wanted to suggest Congress do away with the penalty for switching from Advantage to straight Medicare. There's a lot that we could do, right? A lot of improvements we know that are out there. And I think, you know, Tom and I have had this conversation on this show and, and off uh, the show about some of those Advantage programs and, you know, the questionable nature. And we know that there was an effort by Donald Trump to try to privatize even more of Medicare itself. And some of it we still have to clean up. Some was taken care of by the Biden administration. But, you know, I, I, we're in a place I think you can have a new conversation about health care with members of Congress. We just went through a pandemic, a once-in-a-century pandemic. We're not completely out of it yet, but certainly we've learned a lot of things that the system could have done better. And I, I think, you know, all of those, every single thing points towards you. Why wouldn't you want to have a system like 
every other industrialized country has some kind of universal health care system, but we already kind of have one that can be improved upon, which is Medicare. So have those conversations. That helps us out tremendously. You know, we can talk to a colleague, but honestly, a colleague needs to hear it from their constituents to have the greatest impact. If you haven't had a conversation in the last year with your member of Congress about this, please reach out and send an email, send a letter, make a phone call, try to schedule a meeting. It will help us to get this done. Don in Winsboro, South Carolina, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. I've heard that there's 400 people being charged at this time for the mob riot at the Capitol. I saw, I don't know, four to 10,000 people that had trespassed onto the property, went through barriers, went into the Capitol, went up to the Capitol. I don't understand why there's not more. Criminal trespassing, is that a felony, a misdemeanor? If they don't get charged, will they be back the next time they get a group meeting? Yeah, I, I think it's not a matter of not charging people who broke into the Capitol. I think that's a difference. I don't think being on the grounds is necessarily um, an actionable offense, but they're still trying to identify people, right? And the good news is so many people were proud of their footage. We have a lot of footage out there, and uh, they're still trying to, to make sure they know who did what, especially when it came to things like an attack on a police officer, et cetera. But uh, a lot of it is just knowing who got in the building. I don't think it was 10,000. I was there that day. I would say you know, I could be wrong, but from my vantage point, it was thousands, but I don't know if it was 10,000. Certainly 10,000 didn't break into the building. So that could be a, a part of it. But we do need to, I, ho- I agree with you, have accountability. And the really scary fact that a majority of Trump supporters, a majority, I believe, even of Republicans think that it was a peaceful protest that day when there's clearly video showing anything but, and there's a police officer uh, or two now dead, scores that were injured is just shows the disconnect. I, I actually tweeted this out once to people who are following my account, like just trying to, like, how do you change that? How do you make someone who so clearly we know what happened, look at what they're seeing with their eyes rather than what they're being told by Donald Trump and Republican politicians? It's pretty amazing to me. Part of it is uh, what's going on on Fox News. Tucker Carlson said, A mob of older people from unfashionable zip codes made it all the way to Washington, D.C., maybe by bus. They wandered freely through the Capitol like it was a building or something. They didn't have guns, but a lot of them had extremely dangerous ideas. They talk about the Constitution and something called their rights. That was Fox News primetime. And they're they're rewriting it, right? And then also, this is my favorite argument, that it was all peaceful protesters and it was Antifa pretending to be right-wing insurgents. You can't say both. It was either peaceful or you had insurgents, and they don't even know. They're just throwing out so many lies. You know, it takes critical thinking, but clearly, I don't know if a lot of Trump voters are critical thinkers. Apparently. David in Katona, New York, you're on the air with Congressman Fokin. This is an old way back question to when the impeachment was going on. They took a special oath to follow the evidence. And the fact that they settled the first question on the first round and the second one they voted not to do it, did they not self-impeach by not protecting the Constitution, their primary oath? But the special oath had given them added incentive. And when those 43 senators did that, didn't they then cross the line into the insurrection party? 
clearly they're embracing what happened by doing that, especially, I mean, Mitch McConnell, again, I mean, the most disingenuous politician that's probably ever walked the planet. I can't believe when he immediately after that vote that you're talking about, then said Donald Trump did all these things wrong. Like, you can't have it always. And yet, that's exactly what they do, because they get away with it. And uh, they get away with it because of uh, all those contributions from all those special interests that he has problems with now getting involved in government, but you should get involved in politics. The problem is, at what point do people look at Mitch McConnell and just go, what? You don't make any sense. I mean, your, your rhetoric doesn't match any kind of reality. I don't know if there's anything we can do about it other than, obviously, uh, election time. You can look at those politicians in Wisconsin, people like Ron Johnson, and just make sure they're never in office again because they've been such incredible hypocrites and they've enabled a lot of this to happen by their unwillingness to see if they have a spine in their back. Keith in Madison, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I'd like to recommend you introduce legislation that I think will fix the disparity in our tax code between corporations and people. And it would just consist of five words. Corporations and robots are people, period. Then going forward, uh, we can get into the weeds implementing it, but, you know, I, it should bring all the Republicans on board. They, they're all for corporations, get all the rights and privileges of people. Well, guess what? We all should be on equal footing regarding the taxes also. Yeah, Keith, I mean, I think you bring up the central argument of End Citizens United, right? I mean, corporations um, are not people except in the in, in the situations where they can get away with everything around the rules. And because of that, they're allowed some rules as people and some not as, and they take advantage of the tax code. So one, we do have to address End Citizens United without question. And secondly, I think we can address the tax code without even going to get as far as on Citizens United, because you know, part of it is they just lowered the corporate tax rate a couple of years ago from, what, 35% to 21%. And uh, we still have this unusually low cap gains and, and some other tax rates for people who have investment income as opposed to um, an earned income. We can go after those. And, and to Joe Biden's credit, he took the corporate rate in his proposal for infrastructure up to 28%. So he took it up halfway to where it was in 2017. But also, let's go after all these loopholes. You know, the fact that 90 corporations, major corporations, pay nothing in taxes, and many of them hide it overseas. Joe Biden's willing to do that, too. So I think we're going to get at some tax fairness as we get the infrastructure build up. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Jim in Las Vegas watching us on YouTube. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, hi, Congressman. Is there any information about a complete investigation into who was involved in January 6th? All these Congress people running around, Matt Getz and um, Marjorie Green. And I want to know who's complicit in this thing. Is there going to be an investigation that the public can see? I'm tired of guessing which one of our politicians was involved in killing those police officers. You're completely right, Jim. And, and Nancy Pelosi is trying to put a commission together. There's been some controversy over the makeup of the committee. I hope that doesn't delay anything because I absolutely think we should, you know, be letting the public see exactly what happened. And it might help to some of this, you know, misinformation that's out there. But also, you know, Tom, this is an interesting aside as we just got done talking about fundraising. I don't know if you saw, but Marjorie Taylor Greene, I believe, raised $3 million in the last quarter. Yeah. 3.2 million. Yeah. 
which is just amazing. Again, so part of that, that doesn't help bad behavior, right? Um, When someone can raise, that's on average, I would say a competitive congressional district, which she does not necessarily have competitive district, maybe a half a million in a quarter, like a first quarter would be a big number. And to raise 3.2 off of all the bad behavior she's done is part of our problem. It makes people like Matt Gates and others continue to act like they do because it works for them in some other ways. It seems to me that uh, Democrats are interested in governing and re- elected Republicans are interested in performing. I, Especially I post-Trump. That, I think they saw yeah. Trump's success, right, was being yeah. a reality show star. And now I think even people with zero or little talent think they're reality show stars. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Renee in Live Oaks, California, watch us on Free Speech TV. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. The thing I want to talk about is Joe Biden said he was going to open up the job market by lowering the age for retirement. Now, I don't get to retire till I'm 67. And I'm 63 now. And at this point, they don't want to, nobody wants to hire you. So I'll take your message or whatever your answer is offline. That'd be great. I don't know what will happen with retirement. You know, we know that the, we have to do something to shore up the Social Security Fund. And there's a number of proposals out there, the best of which I think are getting rid of the cap of how much you make. You stop at about 140000 paying into the system. It's actually a regressive tax by that. And there's some other changes that we could do that would make it work quite well. But some people propose raising the retirement age, which I think is an awful idea for a number of reasons, especially for people who work with their hands and their bodies. You know, it's one thing if you're maybe in a desk job, you maybe People are working longer in those, but if you're a bricklayer or a painter or go down to a lot of different trades that are out there, you can't continue to work. It doesn't mean you're going to be able to do that, and that would be an awful idea to raise the age. So, you know, I think what he's talked about is lowering the age to have access to Medicare, which would be a step forward, and even Bernie Sanders has said, you know, fine, whatever we can do to start to open it up makes sense. But... I think we have to be real careful because there's a lot of people who want to raise that age to be eligible. That's crazy. Susan in Phoenix, Arizona, you are on the air with Representative Pocan. Hi, Representative Pocan. My name is Susan, and I'm uh, interested in making this Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico states. I was wondering the status and actually more concerned about can the reconciliation, do you know, I know it's a Senate thing, can the reconciliation vote for the states? Second part, I'm not sure. It has to be primarily fiscal, so I don't know if that would be considered by the parliamentarian. But on the first point, we're voting on D.C. statehood in the House, and we're going to send that over to the Senate. So absolutely, we're moving forward on that. There's no reason it shouldn't be its own state. On Puerto Rico, it gets a little bit more complicated because there's two kind of competing bills introduced by Democrats, one that would make Puerto Rico a state, but another one that would allow the decision to be up to Puerto Rico. And that one is actually put out there by Nidia Vlasquez and uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So I'm not sure if it's as simple as us telling Puerto Rico they're going to be a state because I'm not sure if they want to, and they may have to make that decision first, unlike D.C., who clearly wants to be a state. And I think that one, again, we'll be voting on in the next couple weeks. David in Searcy, Arkansas, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, Congressman Pocan. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, several times and as late as early as last couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Tom had mentioned about seven trillion dollars in overseas bank accounts, crime cartels that was 
overseas and not getting taxed and everything like that. Has there ever been a concerted effort or talk of this, of trying to retrieve this money? How difficult would it be? You know, I, I, I can't think of a major initiative that's been introduced to try to go after it um, recently anyway, but I can say we are trying to go after the stopping of people being able to do it in the future, at least via the tax code. It's one of the priorities of the Biden administration, and to me, it's a complete no-brainer. I mean, these companies play the tax code to their advantage with all the special interests they have in Washington, and yet every small business like my own and Tom's and everyone else's around here pays taxes because that's what we do. We shouldn't allow corporations to get around the rules just because they've got high-paid accountants or lawyers around the system. So Joe Biden is working on that aspect of it, but you know, some of the funds sitting over there, I, I'm not sure if there's a a conversation, a major conversation around that right now. Mark in Madison, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. What are your thoughts on eliminating the earnings test for Social Security for those who want to retire earlier than the full retirement age? There's a, a number of proposals within John Larson's bill. I believe it's called the Social Security 2100 Act. I might be wrong on the name. We all give things interesting names. And he does look at aspects of that, lifting up how much income you can make and still qualify for Social Security without starting to lose funds. There's a number of measures in that. I would take a look at that bill. If you, I think, Google John Larson and Social Security, I believe it's Social Security 2100 Act. And and I just don't have it off the top of my head. But there are some provisions I think that you'd like in there. And, And we've had over 200 Democrats sponsor that bill. So You know, I think, again, while we're acting big and bold so far with infrastructure and the American Rescue Plan, I would hope that we would do something around Social Security, which would completely lift, you know, the the cap so that people are paying more who aren't right now, who are making big incomes and not paying anything towards Social Security above that 140,000, as well as a number of other things it does. So I think there, there are some ways to accomplish what you want to, and you might want to take a look at that bill to see what's probably the major proposal that's out there. Christina in Milwaukee, listening on WTTN. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I'm wondering if there is anything being done to hold companies and people who spread all of the right-wing disinformation accountable. I feel like it's the root cause for radicalizing the Republican base, and I realize there's a fine line regarding freedom of speech, and people can pretty much say what they want, but then I feel like they should be held accountable, especially if it's radicalizing people on the right and producing pretty much homegrown terrorists when they actually believe that they're saving our country, but in reality, they're harming it. You know, you're right. There's a distinction, right? I mean, my pillow guy, if he wants to produce a stupid video or he wants to spout off, maybe he'll lose some business. And that's the the effect that he'll get. But it's hard to go after something that might be considered free speech as opposed to I would argue our real fight is around social media platforms and what they're doing to put information out there and what they're doing to stop misinformation. And I think that a whole lot more needs to be, a burden needs to be put on those social media platforms because unfortunately that's the way a lot of people get their news. That's how people are getting all that information. And there is a responsibility for those companies to act differently. And I think that's where you're going to see most of the congressional action trying to address the issue you raised. What should we be looking at in the upcoming week? 
Um, yeah, for the House, we're going to be uh, in a committee week next week and then another week back home, and then we'll be back out here. I'm not sure about the Senate, but the infrastructure bill, we're starting the appropriation process. Some big pieces of legislation are, are happening, and I think people really need to be heard on those to make sure that it'd be great if Republicans would stand up and support some things that should be no-brainer items. Great. Thanks so much for dropping by today. It's always great having you with us. Thank yeah. you so much. Of course. Thank you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 